three weeks ago, we began to look at the theme of the manifestation of God's presence among his people. Lessons from the Old Testament on the reality of knowing God near to me. Not something that's just religion and theory, but a personal God relating to me in a personal way. And our response of faith, worship, repentance, obedience. And we looked at Adam, much maligned chap. Some people think he didn't even exist. But uh, certainly Jesus did. <clears throat> this pinnacle of God's creation, intended, designed, made for the purpose of enjoying God and enjoying fellowship with him. And in the brief verses that we looked at, before there was, if you like, a fly in the ointment, when, when Adam was able to commune with God openly without sin as an issue between, the, the reality of knowing God, knowing God's presence, the reality of the Almighty communing with humankind is wonderful to consider. And then paradise was lost. The friendship was forfeited. We have those graphic, picturesque words at the end of chapter 3 where it says, And the Lord... God said, the man has now become like one of us, not knowing good and evil. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had taken. And he drove the man out and placed at the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim with a flaming sword and so on. And there's this whole sense of exclusion from God's presence. So, we do, so that we end up with, a, with, a, with generation after generation that hardly know God at all, just a, a longing after And then mixed up in those early chapters is the promise of one who will restore the presence of God to ordinary people. And from then on, there are a number of people who show the way to know the presence of God for myself. I want to look this morning at Adam's great, 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 great grandson. You'll find him in uh, Genesis chapter 5. And I'm just going to read from verse 18 down to verse 24. Genesis 5.18. When Jared had lived 162 years, I'll comment on that in a minute, he became the father of Enoch. And after he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared lived 962 years. If he wasn't on a state pension. And then he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God. Then he was no more. Because God took him. There's a, a rather earthy sequence that follows on from Genesis 3. And then one bright light, this character by the way, by the name of Enoch. It's quite tantalizing really, isn't it? Don't you wish that, this, that, the, that the scripture had more to say about him? If he walked with God, how did he walk with God? What did it mean? 
when everybody else is just doing what the ordinary thing, what was it that was so uniquely distinctive about this man that it should be recorded in the way that it is and repeated later? This um, special characteristic. He was a son of Jared. He only lived for 365 years. Now you think, oh, oh, Mickey Mouse fairy stories. No, not at all. What happened was this. Quite interesting. When you read the early chapters of Genesis, it does stand up. You see, Adam was made to no communion with God. There was sin entering into his system. And as with any genetic change, as with any corruption, it takes time for it to work through the system. And if you get a piece of paper and map on it the length, the, the type, the, the, the lifespan of individuals, you will find from Adam there is a general drop as genetically things are corrupted and the corruption becomes more and more worked through until mankind um, lives the kind of lifespan that we know, unpredictable as that is. So this is a long period with people with long lives. People say to me, well, where did Cain get his wife from? I'll tell you where Cain got his wife from. It's, uh, as here it says that Jared and Enoch had many other sons and daughters. Adam lived for a long time. It, if, if Eve was with child for three quarters of her, her time span, if that was a productive period, the multiplication is enormous. Did you know that from the, the, I was going to say the birth of Adam, from the creation of Adam to the death of Noah, just those, how long do you think? 2,006 years. It's as long from the, from the creation of Adam to the death of Noah as it is from the time of Jesus to today, longer. And because of the lifespan being prolonged, and therefore the number of other sons and daughters being very, very many indeed, and the, the, the peers, the group, multiplying. There, there's a, a rash. How do you describe it? It's also interesting if you add the sums up to find that Methuselah, that was his son, you know, he was the one that lived the longest, now it's still 900 and odd years, died at the time of the flood, same year as the flood. Whether he died in the flood um, is an interesting thought. Hundreds of years and hundreds of peers in this period. Actually, again, it, it's quite an interesting exercise. You will find, if you graph it, that Adam died in the lifespan, actually I think it's 58 years before Enoch was taken. So that for the majority of his life, his great, 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 great grandfather was still around. And, and so was everybody else. In the line of descent that we have described in Genesis, Adam was the first to go, Enoch was the next. And of all of them, and it was quite, what they did on family anniversaries, I just don't know. <coughs> In all of that morass of people, all knowing each other very well, still with Adam and Eve present, however long Eve lived, we're not told. 
One man was distinguished by his walk with God. What, what, what do you think? Enoch walked with God. I, I wonder what it conjures up in your mind in terms of what it means. As having a relationship that was quite special. A devotion, a reality, a friendship. The, the Greek translation of the Old Testament says that Enoch pleased God. That, that after all that Adam had lost, it, it's quite reassuring, isn't it? That one man could actually get into relationship again. Could enjoy God's company again. One, uh, it's been described that walking with God was the business of his life. Now, it's all the more noticeable. If you look at the riffraff and, and the, the lifestyle of those that were around him. If you go back into chapter 4, which we haven't got time to read, but let me read of another seventh generation peer of Enoch. It, it, it reads in verse, tw uh, verse 19. Lamech married two women. So think the fall is really having its toll here, right? One named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those that play the harp and the flute. Father of the musicians. You know what he was like? Zillah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal-Cain's sister was Nama. Lamech said to his wives, Adder and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech's seventies are... He was mocking the judgments of God. That, that after the reality that Adam knew, that things should have gone so far that in Lamech's generation, this is Uncle Lamech, and he, he, he's taking the mickey. Well, that, that sin will have any consequences at all. He's talking, he says, I've killed a man because he injured me. And therefore there's a brazenness about sin in the middle of it all. And uh, um, Enoch had a great uncle Enoch says also in the previous verses, and they named a city after him. So there's a preoccupation here with getting on with life. There were craftsmen and artists and businessmen, and, and the whole sense of life has got to be lived. When we were in the States a fortnight ago, I, I, because I associate with New England, you know, the kind of Puritan pioneers, you know, and they all kind of went round looking happy, as all Puritans did, with their Bible in their hands. And it's quite clear, we went to some kind of museum places and looked at New England life and all that stuff, and uh, that it's very, very clear that the early vision of the fathers to, to, to establish Christian community in the land just got, over, just got swamped by prosperity and making the most of life and building a new nation. Nothing wrong with that. But how easy it is for the ordinary affairs of life to dominate and take over the things that are most important. And remember what Jesus said about the time of Noah. Now, Noah was Enoch's grandson, great-grandson. And he said, For in the days of the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day of the flood came. And there's, people were just preoccupied, as if all that the here and now is all there is. You've got to make your pile. You've got to excel. You've got to build your career. The only things that matters is what we can touch and which gives us a certain human support and gratification. Enoch stood out clearly as different from that. 
He was a man who was not occupied with the here and now. It's also interesting that the same phrase is said of Noah, that Noah walked with God, chapter 6 and verse 9. It's said of, of Abraham on three occasions that he was a man who walked before the Lord. The, these are people in an ordinary day who were prepared to be distinct, disassociate from the preoccupation of living for the now, a kind of nonconformist. I wonder how it happened. Now that I'm speculating here, but how could it be? Because his mum and his dad and his granddad and his great-granddad were just after what this world could give them. What was it, I wonder, that made Enoch different? So he aspired after God that had just become something that people talked about, about relevant in the past. Can you imagine? has a familiar ring, doesn't it? Don't you think? It has a very contemporary ring. I wonder whether there were times by the electric fireside that Adam talked to his great, 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 great grandson. I wonder if he told of better days when Adam could relate. Look, my great, great, whatever it was. There were times when the Lord came in human form and walked in the garden in the cool of the day. I wonder if it was Adam's recounting the, the personal revelation and fellowship, the friendship he'd once enjoyed with God, the sense of companionship and conversation, the communion. I wonder if, if Adam, in the many years, the three, nearly 300 years that he lived on the earth when Enoch was alive, I wonder if it was Adam talking about a personal God and how he'd known him that stirred something else, in, stirred something up in Enoch. I don't know about you, but when I meet people who know God better than I do, it stirs something up in me. When, when I hear people talk about their experiences of God, when I read about what God has done in former days that far exceed the limits of my own experience, there is a yearning in my heart. Can you imagine? what it must have been like to have sat down with Adam for him to tell you what it was like in communion with God before sin made a mess of it. I'm not surprised that something rose up in the heart of one man who said, oh, that God would give me what that man had. And therefore Enoch walked with God. Almost with a prophetic lifestyle if we can put it that way. In a day that just kind of lived for the now. Here was one that said, to know God is important. I, he, he can be personal to me. It, it's better to know God personally to have all that this world can give me. There was a prophetic element to his lifestyle. There was a prophetic element to his lip. You read in Jude, it's another story, I'll, I'll touch on it briefly in a little while, but Jude talks about Enoch having bringing warnings of judgment to come. Jude, 20, Jude 14 and 15. He, he was a man in tune, in line, in step with God. Remember what Micah says, Micah 6, 8. He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. 
It's the, it's the essence of it all, isn't it? It's what it all boils down to. Matthew Henry puts it this way. To walk with God is to set God always before us and to act as those who are always under his eye. It's a tall order. But here is a man who made it his business. I suppose the difference between Mary and Martha was that if you remember the story in, in the Gospels where Martha was all flapping around because of food preparation and Mary was just wanting to hear from Jesus, that Mary was the one who in her desire wanted to walk with God. It must be one of the great privileges of being one of the twelve and around when Jesus walked on earth just to walk along the road with him. Yeah? And to keep pace and take in what he was saying, like those on the road to Emmaus did. So that this is Enoch. He's walking with God. His life, the thing that is essentially true, what they wrote on his gravestone was. They didn't say, we named a city after him. That was his great uncle Enoch. What they wrote on his gravestone was that he walked with God. That was the, 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 the one thing that was truest of him. So much so, that God so enjoyed his company, that one day, very early on in life, 350 years. He kind of walked out of this life and walked into the next one. I don't know how he did it. I know that Elijah went up in a chariot, but there must have been a time when the chariot was metamorphosed too, or else he kind of went out into the galaxies somewhere, and I don't believe that heaven's there. But this man, is, and when the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 11, Enoch is one of the heroes of faith. 11.5. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. Gone. After 350 years, the Lord enjoyed his company so much, he took him up to glory. It's the earliest evidence of life after death in the Old Testament. Think about it. It's quite probable that a number of the Psalms almost refer to it as, as the model that there's something beyond. Psalm 49, but God will redeem my life from the grave. He will surely take me to himself. Could have said it of Enoch. Psalm 73, 24, you will guide me with your counsel and afterward you will take me into glory. So, and actually... Um, and if, if, you're a, if you've got one of those funny Bibles with the Apocrypha in the back and you're an avid reader of the Apocrypha, or if you've got that bigger book of... Inter no, you don't know what I'm talking about here. Right? Between, the, between Malachi at the end of the Old Testament and Matthew at the beginning of the New Testament, there are what are known as the pseudepigraphy, the, um, the, the intertestamental writings. And a lot of them were kind of pious writings, and the chap writing it really hadn't got much street cred, so he looked for a name to put on the top of it so everybody would read it. Three times Enoch's name was put on the... One Enoch, two Enoch, and three Enoch. You can find them in the intertestamental writings. The book of Jubilees is all about Enoch. He's quoted in the book of Wisdom, the so-called book of Wisdom. And uh, what it's all about is that the, the Jewish longing for afterlife and to know that there's life beyond. The fellow they went back to that demonstrated the reality of it was Enoch. Because if he didn't go into another life, where did he go? If he went to be with God, well then he wasn't here and he wasn't dead. See, that's the Jewish logic. 
Good logic. And what a stark challenge to his peers. <laughs> right? There's only, in the, the lots of other people would have died, of course. But in the line of descent, there was only Adam that had gone. So they would have missed him bad, wouldn't they? Wouldn't they? Imagine the next Christmas, or for whatever. <clears throat> Imagine the next wedding. They'd do well for presents, wouldn't they, George? It wouldn't be a bad one at all. But imagine the next family gathering and he's not there. Oh, where's Enoch? Oh, oh well, he went. <laughs> Where did he go? Tremendous lesson on life, isn't it? For that. Well, he was ready, you see. God enjoyed his, co so, his company so much he just walked in. So here was a man, remarkable for his generation, who walked with God. And you say, good for Enoch. I suppose we're in those primitive days when they hadn't got things to tempt them. It was easy for Enoch. I don't think it was easy for Enoch at all. I don't think it was easy for Abraham. In fact, I think it was downright difficult for Abraham. Because to walk with God was to leave all that he had and go to another country. He had a kind of missionary call. He had to leave the security and the prosperity and the family and go to another land. I don't believe it was easy for Noah to walk with God either. Would you like to build an ark in your backyard? Now, would you? Do you not think there were times when he looked the most stupid man on earth? <laughs> so to walk with God is not easy. And therefore, how do I walk with God? Because these are only ordinary, simple folks. These are not clever people. You know, I can't disqualify myself and say, oh, these are a different breed. They weren't a different breed. They were ordinary folk. So if Enoch, when nobody else was, and the fall had already happened, if Enoch could walk with God, well, then I can walk with God. So what are the lessons? Well, in some ways, it's a timeless message, isn't it? That God has a walk and a will, and a way for me. I was reading this morning in Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to walk in, for us to do. God's got a plan for my life. It's not a funny old bank that orders it. It's God that orders it. I simply have to obey and walk in it. There are some very radical choices. For some of us, the whole issue, like Abraham had, of uprooting and going to another land. Well, I want to stay here, Lord. You see, the first thing about walking with God is that I have to make the choice, often a difficult choice, to go his way. There's a lot of sacrifice in that. There's a lot of change. There's a lot of churning in my deepest parts of my heart. I want to go my way. I want to have my choices. I want to hold on to my preferences. I don't want our God telling me what I've got to do. I'm going to live my own life. I'm going to do it my way. If you want that, you'll get it. It's free. But if you live that way, you won't walk with God. Because if I'm going to walk with God, I've got to go the way he's going. And oftentimes that has a, a lot of rub with it. Hasn't it? 
I hope you know. Stands the voice of experience. Excellent. I've got to go at his pace. I've got to go at his time. I've got to make a fundamental choice in life, as Enoch did, that whether other people are having cities built on them, whether they're making their, their instruments out of copper, whether they're artists or whatever they are, my, my choice in life is I'm going to walk with God. Whatever, however good or bad I am at everything else, I want to be good at that. That's my choice. And that's the first lesson of Enoch, really. That there was a level of consecration in his life whereby he made a difficult choice. What Exodus 16 talks about walking in my law. Deuteronomy 13 talks about walking after him and fearing him. Deuteronomy 28, 9, walking in his ways. Psalm 56, 13, that I may walk before you in the land of the living. Colossians 1, 10, talks about walking worthy, fully pleasing to him. 1 John 1, 7, which you already heard this morning, as we walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship one with another. But I have to choose to do that. It'll cost me. I have to set a certain radical priority to say that that's the most important thing to me or I'm going my own way. There are a lot of pastoral problems, if I can say after 10 years' experience among you lot, there are a lot of pastoral problems in life come because we fudge this central issue. And we've tried to go our own way and be a Christian at the same time and I have to say it won't work and it never works properly. That's the first thing. There was a commitment. There was a consecration. There was a giving to, to walk with God as a radical choice of life in this man Enoch. The second thing, and probably the most important thing I will say this morning, is that it was a walk of faith for Enoch. Why did he do it? Because he believed God. What was it that made this man distinctive? What characteristic about him was it that singled him out from all the others? He believed God. He, he trusted in this God so much that it made him different. He walked on a different tack because he was a believer. Uh, if you don't believe me, turn to Hebrews 11 and let me read the two verses that relate to Enoch. Hebrews 11 verses 5 and 6 says this. The one of them I've read already. Verse 5 says this, By faith, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For because he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he is the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. That, uh, and this is very difficult. Isn't it difficult to walk in life and maintain an edge of faith? Isn't it? Don't we manage to get life so sorted that we can just about get by with a modicum of comfort? Or am I the only guilty party here? Living with a faith dimension is a major challenge in life for a Christian. You see, let me, I've heard a number of things in the last 10 years. I've heard musicians say, we want God to really enjoy the music. Okay, thank God for musicians over the last 10 or more years. Done a good job. Great ministry. I'm not convinced that it's primarily the music that God wants to enjoy. We've never been guilty as somehow of saying, 
we, we hope that God really enjoys our building. You know, it, well, they do, but we do. It, we want it right for the glory of God. We want the Lord to come in and see our nice building and enjoy it. I don't believe that God is primary. I don't think he's particularly concerned at all about what the building looks like. Well, I, I'd like the Lord to have a smile on his face and be thoroughly entertained and like my preaching. It's faith. Isn't it funny? The thing that God enjoys in me is the extent to which I trust him. And I'm on the faith edge. And there are aspects of my life where I'm trusting him and relying on him. And if he doesn't show up, I've had it. See? And it's difficult, isn't it? It's, it's like rather like walking on the water. I have to step out and say, I'm going to consciously trust God for this one. That's what Enoch did. It, it, was, it was his faith that pleased God. It, it was his trust. It was the fact that, well, okay, I might lose my job. I might be the, re, regarded as a nutter in society. I don't mind. I'm following God. I'm walking in his way because I'm trusting in him. And he says this way, excuse me, so this way it is. It was the faith dimension that made him distinctive. A definite stepping out, a definite risk, sacrifice, change. And it was the faith factor with Noah, wasn't it? There was no other reason he could build a boat in his garden. He was either a nutter or he had faith and believed what God had said was true. It's one or the other. It wasn't just good luck, was it? And, what, and Abraham, exactly the same. The man heard from God, believed God, and went. Now, the good news in all of this is that, and hear me, God wants to be personal to me. If Enoch can, I can. Particularly when Jesus has opened a new and living way to make it all wonderfully possible. I remember when I was first converted. I, you see, you can be religious and have all the kind of religious ways. You know, and, and I, was, I, I was kind of, well, I, I, had a, I had my religious phase in life, okay? Pretty obnoxious. And I was a total hypocrite because I played rugby. I was, I, was, I was religious on Sundays, all right? I was otherwise on a Saturday afternoon. But I remember the great thrill when I was first converted. And I was told if I surrendered my life and asked the Lord Jesus to forgive me, he would come into my heart, and he did. I remember that. It's a long time ago now. It's many, many years. But I can still remember to this day the thrill I had. At first I thought that Jesus was walking with me. And that little song that I've often quoted, he lives, he lives, Christ, he walks with me. And he so as I go wandering on, swanning along my life, my life, little path in life, there he was at my beck and call there to help me. And then I realized that shit was the other way around. It wasn't that he was walking with me, it was I was walking with him. If it was going to work. But he was always there. He was my best friend. Isn't <laughs> it? And he's been there every day since. Isn't that marvelous? 
however many years it is from the 2nd of February 1969 to now, some of you mathematic computer experts, you'll be able to tell me that every day from then, my Jesus has been my friend and enabled me to walk with him. Isn't that magnificent? How barren those years would have been, nearly 30, if he hadn't walked with me. That's the, te- that's the message of Enoch, you see. I can go my own way, but it's so much better to live a faith walk. And when all said and done, he only had 30, 350, 350 years to demonstrate it, that it was possible. And then he demonstrated the sequel, what can happen afterwards if we walk with God. What went through their minds when he'd gone? I don't know. There have been times when men and women of God have left us and I'm sure we've had the same thought. Once Enoch had gone, if you like, Noah took up the torch. Ordinary people on the right track. The point is this. In your way, which will be different from mine, are you walking with him? However many meetings you go to or don't go to, however many Christian music tapes you listen to or not listen to, whatever the external periphery of your Christian life is, am I walking with him? See, it's possible to kind of well, I'm, I'm carrying on, and I hope he's there somewhere. Enoch did not operate on that model, and neither need you. But if you'll open up your heart honestly and sincerely and say, the important thing in my life is to walk with God. If I don't do that most important thing, when I get to the end of my life, I'll have missed it in terms of what I could have been. Bow our heads, let's pray before we close. I was, I was once at a conference and Paul Yonggi Chow was speaking and uh, he's the pastor of the church with 800,000 members in Seoul and uh, he was kind enough to come and speak when I was listening. And uh, the convener of the meeting asked him what was the secret of his success? And I won't try and imitate his Thai accent, but he said, believe and obey. Believe and obey. Believe and obey. That's all he said. I wonder, there may be some here this morning, and you haven't really started to walk with God. At least this morning you realize The possibility is there for you. God will set a pace, a direction, and a pattern for life for you, and he'll walk with you. You'll have to follow him, but you follow him by walking at his side. Lord Jesus, I've lived so much of life without you, I want to live the rest of my life with you. Like Enoch, I want to walk with you. 
I want to make the choices that will exclude some things and beautify others. But Lord, I don't want to go through this life and miss you. I do want the reality of your presence in my day to day. Help me to make the choices. Help me, Lord, to give you room. Give me your spirit in my heart to enable me to follow you. And there are some of us, Lord, here this morning, and we, 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 we do walk with you, sometimes better than others. And you're putting great issues before our lives. And you're saying, if you're going to follow me, you need to take this course. And it's difficult for us, Lord. We, we struggle with the consequences. And so we bow in your presence. Lord Jesus, so that I may walk with you and know your presence in its fullest measure. I want to tell you, Lord, this morning that I want to, despite the consequences, choose your purposes for my life. If it means going cross-cultural, take me cross-cultural. If it means changing job or changing spheres of work, if it means full-time ministry, Lord, I want to walk with you. If it means losing friends and gaining new ones, Lord, I want to walk with you. If it means misunderstanding and ridicule, Lord, help me to take it like Noah did and help me to walk with God. In the name of Jesus. Take a moment's quiet now. Please don't fudge it. Don't be smug. Please don't allow the thought. The devil will just whisper you in your ear and say, oh, you're all right, really. Just carry on as you are. You don't really need to make much change. If you're thinking that, you're deceived already. 